Well, good morning. My name is Keith, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I get to bring uh, you God's Word this morning. It's a great privilege. Uh, how many of you have ever found a great product or a great deal where you just had to share it with a friend or a family member? Anybody ever found something like that? Okay. Uh, how about anybody ever had a coworker or perhaps a team member on a sports team where uh, you just looked at them and you said, man, they can do all kinds of stuff. They're just so talented. And perhaps you had a little bit of jealousy and envy there. But then when project time came or when you had a game, you were like, I'm sure glad they're on our team and not on the other team. Anybody ever noticed that? Yeah. And we're going to talk about someone who, uh, who felt those same, same things and who experienced those same things uh, today. January 2007, 19-year-old Cameron Holopeter suffered a seizure in the New York City subway. And as he had this seizure, he, he, his body was just uncontrollable and he flopped over onto the tracks. Where there was a train coming and it just so happened that 50-year-old con- construction worker Wesley Autry saw what was happening. And he looked around and nobody else was going to this man's aid. So he, he told his daughters, he said, you guys stay right here. He jumped down very quickly, grabbed this man, put him in between the tracks where there's a little bit of room there, then climbed on top of him to keep him from flailing around because of a seizure. And there was a half inch clearance between the two of them and the train that passed by. He was hailed, of course, as a hero. And he was. He was. He was very unselfish, and that's a rare thing to see something like that, isn't it? Someone risking their life for someone else. In our text today, we're going to look and see where the people saw Jesus, and they said he is astonishing beyond measure. Astonishing beyond measure. And so we're going to look at two things today as we look at Jesus being this astonishing person that he is, how Jesus is the Savior who cannot be hidden, And Jesus is also the Savior who does all things well. Before we get into that, though, I want to give you a little bit of background. Uh, I don't know about you, but a lot of times I think about Jesus and think about him hanging around around Jerusalem, Bethlehem, Nazareth, that kind of area, and then also perhaps around the Sea of Galilee. But we're going to look and see today in our scripture that Jesus actually traveled a lot farther. He went up along the Mediterranean Sea to a place uh, that was... He left Galilee, went up to a place called Tyre and Sidon. We have a map here that you can see. And as you look on that map, you'll see up there on the north side, you can see where um, uh, Tyre is and Sidon is there. And then in between, you see a place called Zarephath. You may recall that from the Old Testament. That's where uh, Elijah was able to, uh, to help a widow who lived there, and he stayed with her oftentimes up in that area. Now, why would Jesus go this far north? and go up by the Mediterranean Sea and leave down where uh, all the Jews were concentrated. Well, one reason was he wanted to avoid the crowds and King Herod Antipas, who was uh, reigning in Galilee and who was kind of after him. And so he wanted to avoid that for a while. And then also he wanted to help his disciples to start seeing that people beyond the Jews were going to have a chance in God's kingdom. And, And so that's why he travels up there. 
We're going to be in Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 37. If you want to grab a Bible that's in the, under the seat uh, near you, it's uh, page 843 there if you want to follow along, or we're going to uh, read this together. So if you're willing and able and you'd like to stand in honor of God's Word, would you please stand as we read Mark 7, starting verse 24 through the end of the chapter. From there he rose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose, whose little daughter had an unclean spirit um, heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first. It is not right for the children's bread, uh, <clears throat> not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found the child lying in the bed and the demon gone. Then he returned to the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and who had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on them. And taking him aside from the crowd publicly, privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephaphtha, that is, be open. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. These are God's words. May he accomplish his purposes through them. Please be seated. So what do we see there in this passage? Starting in verse 24, we see, uh, we're, we're going to have two points today. And the first one is, Jesus is the Savior who cannot be hidden. Jesus is the Savior who cannot be hidden. In verse 24, it says, and from there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house... He didn't want anyone to know, and yet he could not be hidden. You see, he wanted some time alone by himself and with his disciples. But word had gone ahead of him. Even up in this distant area, evidently his popularity had spread, and people knew of his power and his strength. And then we see in verses 25 and 26, but immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit of him heard of him and came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. In other words, she was from that area where he was. And she begged him to cast the demon out of, his out of her daughter. Interesting, because Matthew 15 records the same uh, event that happened. And Matthew says that this woman is calling out over and over and over. And the disciples are like, tell her to go away. But she comes up to Jesus. She falls down and she begs him to desperately, please, cast out this demon from my little daughter. Cast out this demon. She is very desperate, and she's a very persistent woman who wants her daughter to be healed and to be free from this demon that's controlling her. You ever felt like you needed to be desperate and persistent in your prayers with God? Where there was something going on in your life that's so hard to deal with that you just went to him constantly and constantly, and you just kept going because it was so important to you? 
Well, that's what this woman was doing. She was desperate and she knew that Jesus was her hope. Then she and Jesus have this interesting conversation. And he says to her, let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. You see what he was talking about? This bread is the message of God and God's freedom. The children are the Jews and the dogs, of course, are the Gentiles. Now, when you first hear this or read this, you're thinking, wow, this is a pretty prejudiced statement, isn't it? I mean, this is Jesus basically saying, listen, I'm God and you're just a lowly Gentile. But that's really not what he's saying here. In fact, um, if you look at it, he says the first thing that should happen, in other words, what God designed it to, is that the Jews would hear first. Not that the other people didn't get to hear it, but he was sent to go to the Jews first. Paul repeated that when in Romans he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the, the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then Jesus says this, he says, listen, um, you don't take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But it's interesting, the Pharisees often called the Gentiles dogs, but they talked about them as being like big junkyard dogs, <laughs> that kind of dog. But here Jesus used the word for puppy. Like it's a young puppy that the family has adopted as a pet, and they're just starting to train this dog. And of course, as things happen, when the kids are sitting at the table and they have a little dog, what do they do? They throw them little pieces of food. They do that. And then she has this great response. It's, it's a very humble and a wise answer. And she said, yes, Lord, even the dogs, the puppies under the table get to eat the children's crumbs. And Jesus was impressed with this. So he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. And in Matthew, he records, he says, great is your faith. Great is your faith. The demon has left your daughter, he said. So she went home and found out that her daughter was lying on the bed and the demon was gone. The demon was gone. Now, this is one of the few times where we see the power and the strength of the Lord God through Jesus Christ, where he didn't actually have to encounter someone or speak to someone to accomplish his will and to see his power become evident. You see, Jesus never saw this, this demon. He never spoke to this demon. But some way, through the power of Jesus Christ, that demon was gone from this little girl. And he never even had to encounter the girl or the demon. That's the power that God has over Satan. Lest we start thinking about this constant battle between God and Satan and they have this equal power stuff, that is not true. This is one of those cases in the Bible that shows that. The power of God is so much greater than the power of Satan. And we need to keep that in mind. Because as we go through this and we understand it, we see that Jesus cannot be hidden. Jesus cannot be hidden. Why can't he? There are three reasons that we see here in, in, and we understand. Number one, we just talked about it. He has ultimate power. You can't hide someone who has the ultimate power of the universe within his hands. And that's who Jesus is. That's why uh, when, when Peter was talking here, he says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. God was with him. 
You see, he did miracles. He would calm the sea. He controlled nature. He would take five loaves and two fish and multiply it to feed thousands of people. Those were the kinds of things that Jesus could do and can do even today. Interesting thing about Jesus' power, though, the ultimate power. You notice it's way different than the people who have power today here on this earth because he never used his own power for his own good. He used it for the good of other people. Well, Jesus has the ultimate power. Uh, Secondly, he can't be hidden because he's wonderful and amazing. And here's just a short passage that shows a little bit about the amazing, uh, wonderful person that Jesus is from Romans chapter 5. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still what? Sinners. Yeah. Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified, we've been declared not guilty, we've been declared innocent by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that that we are now reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. You see, we can have a restored right relationship with God because of who Jesus is and because of what he accomplished. That's amazing, isn't it? I mean, think about how how terrible some of the things we think are, how terrible some of the things we say are, how terrible some of the things that we do really are. But Jesus, knowing that we were going to be like that, was willing to die for us, and he did that out of his love for us to restore us back to God. So he has the ultimate power. He's wonderful and amazing, but he is also our only hope. He's our only hope. Without Jesus, there is no hope. There is no salvation in no one else. Peter said this, there is no name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You see, no Buddha, no Muhammad, no Krishna, No Dalai Lama, no New Age philosophy, no self-proclaimed truth that anyone can espouse is going to save us. Only Jesus can save us. Only Jesus. That's why he himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except how? Through me. Through me. So Jesus is our only hope. And that's why he can't be hidden, because he has this ultimate power, he's wonderful and amazing, and he is the only hope for the human race. That's who Jesus is. So a true Christian should not, could not, and would not ever hide who Jesus is or what he's done. You see, our relationship should reflect Christ and his influence through the gospel to those people that we encounter, whether it's in the grocery store at the gas station, at work, or while we're just out in general public. Now let me pause here and just ask a question. Which kind of Christian are you? Which kind of Christian are you? You know, basically we could boil it down to two. Actually, there's kind of three, but we'll put them into two categories here. There are, first of all, the capable Christians. Capable Christians. They are the people who know Christ And who rely on the Holy Spirit and realize that they need to live an exemplary life and try to be a good example for people around them. And then they speak up when someone says something 
about them or where they have an opportunity to talk about Jesus, they do that. These are capable Christians, like my friend Elaine. She, uh, she was on a plane flying back from a trip and happened to sit next to a lady and, and uh, she noticed the lady was a little upset, started talking to her. And this Hindu lady was very, very sad because she had lost one of her family members. And she just, and, and they got to talking and, and, and Elaine asked her, said, well, tell me what, what do you Hindus believe? And she said, oh yeah, I'll be reincarnated. I'll come back as some other animal or some other thing and, and maybe I'll get to see that person who, who I've loved and, and who is gone. And that's when she took the opportunity to share with her the hope that Jesus gives us. That we can actually see people face to face in heaven, those who are Christians who have gone before us. So we're either a capable Christian or there are many people who try to be camouflage Christians. Camouflage Christians. You ever met one of those? Now, it's not just people who dress in camo, okay? These are people who try to camouflage themselves like people of the world. They blend in. You can't really tell the difference between them and somebody who is not a Christian because they're just trying to fit in and go with the flow, and they're not really that much different. They're camouflage Christians. And then some of those camouflage Christians are even worse than just being camouflaged. They're silent. They're the people who say, I've got my fire insurance because I believe in Jesus. I've got my ticket to heaven, and I am not going to say a word to anybody else about anything about Jesus because I'm in. And that's all that matters. As long as I just slide into heaven, I'm good. That's a silent Christian. Example of that would be my friend Mike. We had a fellow who came to visit at church one time. And so Mike and I went to his house to visit him. And it was interesting because Mike had worked with this guy in the school system there. Uh, this is in another state. And they had worked together for years. And so as we're, we're talking with this guy, and he said, Mike, it was great to see you. He said, you know, when I saw you in church, I, I was just amazed because I, I didn't know you were a churchgoer, and I really didn't know that you were a Christian. And my heart just sank because Mike was one of our elders. And one of his coworkers did not even know he was a believer in Jesus Christ. That was sad. So which are you? Are you the capable Christian or the camouflage Christian? You see, whether we are willing to share who Jesus is or not, Jesus can't be hidden. He's the Savior that the world knows about, and a lot of times they're fighting against him. Because they know if they claim him as, as Savior, he also needs to be Lord, and he's going to ask them to become more like him, and so their life is going to have to change. Their life is going to have to change. Peter said this, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. You see, we as Christians ought to be living in such a way people look at us and say, there's something different about you. You, you, you seem like a hopeful person. What, what, why do you have so much hope? even when things are going tough in your life. And we ought to be able to answer, it's Jesus. And do it with gentleness and respect. Jesus 
is the Savior that cannot be hidden. Here's a picture. Something that ended World War II was, was very, very drastic and terrible. It was the bombing. This is a picture of uh, Hiroshima. And we know that Nagasaki was destroyed in a similar way. You couldn't hide the fact that a nuclear bomb went off in these major cities over in Japan. Just couldn't hide it. You cannot hide that Jesus is our Savior. The difference is this was something terrible. Jesus the Savior is something great and amazing and that should astound us beyond measure. Well, the second point for this morning is not only was Jesus not able to be the Savior that's hidden, but Jesus is the Savior who does all things well. Mark 7.37, back in our main text, they were astonished beyond measure, uh, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Now, in the Greek language, when that was originally written, he has done all things well. That's very good English. But in Greek, it says, he is much more better. He is much more better. Yeah, and, and, and it's really an emphasis there to say, Jesus has done all things well. That means he's much more and he does it way better than anyone or anything else could. He returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in verse 31. And they brought to him a man who was deaf. And he, he had a speech impediment and they begged him to, to lay his hand on him. So Jesus went back to around the Sea of Galilee to Decapolis, which is interesting because not long before that, that's where he met that demon named Legion, which is many. And he cast Legion into the pigs and they, they went over the cliff and died, thousands of them. Back in the same area, and they asked him to leave the country at that point. Now they're asking him to, they're begging him, please heal this man who is deaf and who cannot speak. You ever met someone who's deaf? I remember we had a young man in one church where I served, and just, just a neat young man, but he went to the school for the deaf, and he was interesting because he could make sounds that you could actually understand, and he'd been deaf ever since he was born. But sometimes you had to really, really listen because since they can't hear themselves talk, it's hard for them to understand what their sound is that's coming out, what sounds they're making. Taking him aside from the crowd, it says, there in verses 33 and 34, privately, because he wanted to set this young man at ease, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue and looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephaphtha, that is, be open." So here's Jesus, takes this man aside, and then it's like he does sign language to him. He sticks his fingers in his ears, goes up to the man, puts his fingers in his ears. And then he spits, probably on his fingers, and then takes his finger and puts it on his tongue to basically say, I'm not only going to make you so you can hear, you will be able to speak again. And, and back in those days, they often felt like there was something magical in, in, in the spit that we have. Don't ask me why they thought that. But that's what they thought. And so that's probably why Jesus does that. And then the interesting thing is he looks up into heaven because he wants this, this person he's going to heal to know this is from God. It's not just a guy standing in front, of you, in front of you. This is God who's healing you. And he looks up and then he sighs. A big sigh. It's probably a, a sigh of love and compassion, but it's also a sigh of, this world is broken. 
This world is broken. I mean, it wasn't the, the, this person's parents who had sinned or he hadn't sinned. It's just you live in a broken world where sometimes people are born with, with deformities and difficulties in their life. And so Jesus sighs. And then he says to him, Ephaphtha, be open, be open. And what happens? We'll see that in just a minute. But this whole thing, this whole situation was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 35. Look, look at what Isaiah said. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the layman leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Isaiah could see the day when Jesus was going to accomplish this specific miracle here. And then we see in Mark 7, 35, and his ears were opened, his tongue was released. That means literally the shackles of his tongue were broken. And he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. So see, this man could now speak and he could hear. And they were out telling everybody about it. Well, think about it. If you couldn't speak before very well and, and you couldn't hear, you want to go tell somebody, hey, guess what just happened to me? And that's what he was doing. And Jesus is like, you don't have to tell everybody. That's okay. Because he doesn't want people to just flock to him just for miracles. He wants them to know him beyond just the miracle worker. And then verse 37, they were astonished beyond measure. All these people around him were astonished at Jesus saying, he has done all things well. He is much more better. He even makes the deaf and the mute hear and the mute speak. Here's a question. When's the last time you were astonished beyond measure at who Jesus was and what he did? When's the last time? We just had a staff retreat earlier this past week and uh, it was a chance for me to once again be astonished at God and what he can do because we got to go to this camp and uh, we were there on the lake with the, the trees all around. It was just, it was a beautiful place. And I was once again astonished and reminded at, at God the creator and what he does and how Jesus was there helping with the creation, with God the Father. Jesus does all things well. What does he do? Well, in this case, he was healing those who were suffering from sickness, disease, and demons. Then he also healed their spirit and their soul, and he offered them great hope. He gave this deaf man a new chance. This young girl who was controlled by this demon had a chance now, had hope. And God did that because of his love. And then he loves and cares for people. He loves and cares for people, and he was showing that. Now, some folks may be sitting here this morning, may be saying, okay, yeah, you've talked about Jesus can't be hidden. He does all things well, but you know what? There's a lot of junk going on in my life that I've asked him to deal with, and he hasn't done anything yet, so how can you say he does all things well? How can you say he does much more better? How can you say that? Well, remember, Jesus did and still does overcome difficult situations. And we live in a sinful, fallen world. And what we need to do is ask him to intervene like he did in these two situations. With this Gentile woman and with this man who was deaf and mute. And he will. He will. He still works wonders 
and can make good come from any bad situation because he is our Savior. And that's the fourth thing that he does well. He saves us. He saves us. What does he save us from? First of all, he saves us from our sin. Uh, Paul wrote to the Romans and said this, but now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and to its end, eternal life. For our, the wages of sin is death, but the gift, free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, we have been set free from sin. Set free from sin. Isn't that amazing? There is no sin that can control me as a Christian except the sin that I permit to be in control of me. Because Jesus has set me free from every sin that comes my way and wants me to, to fall into that temptation and commit that sin. He not only saves us from our sin, but he saves us from Satan and the world. Uh, that's why the writer of Hebrews said this, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, talking about Jesus, likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who had the power of death, and that is who? The devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So he frees us from Satan and from this world and from our fear of death. Because we no longer need to fear it. And then he frees us from ourselves too. That's why uh, uh, Paul wrote to the Colossian Christians said, Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are earth, for you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. See, it's not just about me doing whatever I want each day and accomplishing my goals. If I'm a Christian, I belong to the Savior. He's my Lord. He's the one who leads my life and who guides me. And so it's not just about what Keith wants. It's about what does God want in my life. What does Jesus want to do as he lives through me? And he lives his life through me. Jesus is the Savior that cannot be hidden. And he is the Savior that does much more better. Do you know the Savior that's astounding beyond measure? There may be some folks here this morning who don't yet know the Savior. Maybe you've heard a lot about him. Maybe you even are starting to believe in him. But have you actually put your faith and your trust in him? You can have a relationship with him today. He can not only be someone that you know as Savior, but someone who is your Savior and your Lord. He can be that this morning. Peter wrote this to, to Christians. He said, grow in grace and a knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever to the day of eternity. Amen. You see, Jesus is the Son of God who sacrificed himself to die for us. He was buried, he rose again, and he is alive today. He offers grace and mercy to us, not because we all deserve it so much or that we can earn it, but because he loves us. And he wants to offer us that forgiveness. And he calls us to respond in faith. That's why John wrote this, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world. What is it? Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? 
Do you really believe that Jesus is the Son of God? That he died on the cross for you and for your sin? That he rose from the dead, he's alive today, and that he wants you to know him personally? If you feel that tug on your life and on your heart, I want to encourage you, trust Jesus with your life. Yield to him. Give him your all. Don't wait. Surrender to him. Let's pause just for a minute and think about Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord. Think about your own relationship with him for just a moment, please. Many of us here are already Christians. We've already yielded our life to Jesus Christ. He is our Lord and our Savior. But God, being rich in his mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved. And he goes on and repeats that same thing. You see, we as Christians need to be careful that we don't hide Jesus from the world. We can hide in him from the world, but we need to be careful that we share the world, share Jesus with the world. As you look at the cross over here on the wall, you see the top. It points up, doesn't it? Points up to God. The one who makes our salvation possible. The one who loved us so much that he gave his only son on a, on a tree like this for us. And then notice the crossbars. Because of his great love for us, he makes it possible for us to love other people. And if we love other people, we should be sharing who Jesus is. And that he's the Savior that can't be hidden. And he can do much more better than anyone else because he does all things well. And then notice also, the foot of the cross points where? Down. To remind us that Satan is defeated. God and his power is greater. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. John Newton, the fellow who wrote the, uh, the song Amazing Grace, as he got older, he said these words, my memory is almost gone, but I remember two things, that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great savior. Christ is a great savior. Let's go and make Jesus known because he is much more better than anyone or anything else. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning and first of all, we thank you so much that you sent Jesus to us. Father, thank you that he was willing to leave the glories of heaven to come here as a man that he taught us about who you are. And Father, we are so sorry that he had to suffer just that agonizing death that he did for us. Thank you for the great love that he showed to us. And we thank you that he didn't just die though, but he rose from the dead and he is alive today. And he is a Lord. He is our Lord, the only one who can save us. Thank you for his sacrifice. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being willing to do that. And we thank you, Father, that you promise us eternal life through Jesus Christ. May we put our faith and our trust in him 
and not waver. Help us to make him known. And we thank you that he does all things well because he is much more better. In Jesus' name we praise you and we thank you. Amen.